0: the latest on your Raiders and the NFL, your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Welcome back, everybody. It is time for another enthralling edition, yes, of Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast covering your Las Vegas Raiders. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you don't already do so, do us the favor, subscribe wherever you get your audio. Put on the auto download as well, so that way, every time we have an updated show, you're going to get it right to your device and be able to listen to it as well. Uh, as usual, I bring in my broadcast partner. He is the national NFL writer over at Bleacher Report. His name is Mr. Maurice, or as we call him, Mo Moton. You can follow him on Twitter at m o e m o t o n. You can follow me at L V Gully. Mo. Um, we had one show last week. It was a. I mean, it's we're in the doldrums of the season. It's that dead period between now and camp. Uh, I know you've had a little bit of a lighter assignment load at Bleacher Report. You're still working, of course, because you always work. But how's your summer going so far? Minus the leaks on
1: my roof. I don't know if people (laughs) out there can hear the drilling. Uh, I think it's going pretty well. Um, As you said, it's been a a light week, a light past couple of weeks. June in general has been light for me. July is going to be light until the last week of July, which, of course, is when training camps open. But been able to read up on some things i've been taking up on some baseball i know people don't want to hear about that but um <laughs> i've been i've been just engaging in other interests and having and having a good time uh, to start the summer I, I, A lot of summer left so a lot of reading a lot of baseball a lot of other sports i can pay attention to in the meantime
0: yeah, it's interesting. Uh I know, you know, we love the feedback from our listeners. I mean, they they always give us good feedback. Uh and and I and I love the folks who are like, "Oh, this is don't talk about this, talk about that." And it's always interesting because we always try to 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 be cognizant of that, right? All right. But also to make sure that we stay on top of the news, be different. We're not always going to do what you see. Hey, here's the 14th story on the history of the Raiders on this subject. Right? We're not going to do that. We're going to do something a little bit different. But I'm always interested in some of our great Christus, uh, Christos, Christos uh, who always watches us on YouTube. Was was not happy with our last show. He's like, "Why don't you do a position breakdown of this?" And it's like, "We'll get there. We'll get there. It's just not time yet. We want to we see them on the field, so we can we can sit here and guess, Mo, about guys on the field, which we're going to do a little bit of today, but. But I don't want to break down players and positions till we start to see them in camp because I, I don't feel like I have a good grasp on what they're going to do, especially some some of these guys have never been on the field for the Raiders.
1: To the person who asked about position breakdowns, I I would say, check out my article on Sports Not. <laughs> s- shameless self-plug here. I forgot to I, mention I your
0: asked, Sports Not column, so excuse
1: me. I, I basically posed a question for each position and answered it. So it, it would go something like, who's going to, Take the majority reps at the starting tight end position for the Raiders come week one. And I'll go into my answer on why. So I went, I basically went, I didn't break down every position, but I went through every position and the most pertinent question that the Raiders face ahead of training camp at every position. So that to whoever that person is, check out that article on sports that's
0: up right now. Christos, I think his name was Christos. I can't remember now since it's we're recording in the morning is why I'm drinking my coffee. (laughs) Takes me a little bit, you know. The the older the motor gets, it takes a little more to warm up, right? You know what I'm saying? It just takes. The mouse a little has more. to
1: get warmed up on the wheel.
0: Yeah, exactly. But but we <laughs> love our. I mean, hey, even when you guys don't like our stuff. I don't mind engaging with you. It's all good because you come back and you listen and you watch. So thank you very much for that. Uh, What we want to get to this morning, if you're listening to us in the morning on Tuesday or if you're listening to us whenever you are, is just the latest in Raiders news. Uh, I know there's not a lot of it, but there is some, Mo, and I want to go through some of those headlines. First of all, the important thing is 75 days, 75 days until the start of NFL training camp, the official start of the Las Vegas Raiders 2023 season. It's only 75 days. I know it's tough, but uh, football is on its way, folks. But we start off with the news. Good news. Devontae Adams is not going to be criminally charged. I'm telling you, he took uh, he shouldn't have been on the hook here in the first place. Right. So if you remember, he shoved the Chiefs photographer after the game back in October of 2022 on the field after the field on the field after the game. Excuse me. In KC. And uh, criminal charges were dropped last week. A civil case is still pending because, you know, Fotog, you know, he's got PTSD from being bumped into by Devontae Adams, which is just ridiculous. I won't even get started on that one. It's a wealthy NFL player. So ding, ding, lawyer, money, you know, you know how it goes. Now, the interesting thing about this, I'm not surprised by it, Mo, and it's good. I mean, I was critical of Devontae for losing his temper at the moment. I did not believe he should be arrested. I did not believe he should even be fined, although I think he might be. The league still has time. They were waiting to see how the criminal matter was handled. Uh, it would not be on the field uh, a retribution from the league. It would be off the field conduct policy. Uh, I think he'll eventually get a little bit of a fine here, but I think that's where it ends.
1: Yeah, there were questions about whether he's going to be suspended for maybe a game or two for his actions. I don't think it, it amounts to that. Uh, the, the misdemeanor charges have been thrown out. And as you said, if you watched the video from a different angle, you would see that, yeah, he shouldn't have extended his arms and pushed a photographer, but it wasn't – there was no intent or malice mm-hmm. in in the shove. It wasn't like he sought out the photographer and just shoved them out of the way because he was angry about losing <laughs> to the Chiefs by one point. It was more of he's walking – you know. Into the tunnel off the field, and the photographer kind of scoots by him. Yeah. And he just kind of extends his arm. And, like, I think that's one of his reactions is just to kind of, hey, you know, get out of the way. I mean, it it happens. It's an emotional moment. It's right. Remember, it's right after a game, right after a tough loss. And I always say this that. When you get players right after a football game, the emotions are still running high. So when you get them at the podium, you get them for an interview, win or loss, the emotions are going to be super high. So you may not get the calm reaction that you would normally get out of a player after a football game. I'm not excusing Devontae Adams' actions, but I'm saying that after a football game, these are when you make these kind of mistakes.
0: Right. And and it's, listen, again... I'm not just railing against lawyers here. Lawyers have purpose. <laughs> One of my best friends is a lawyer. Hey, Sam, Sam and Ash, both of them, actually. <laughs> um, but I will tell you that it's it's like people see dollar signs because the guy's wealthy. It's no different than if he was some guy driving a Rolls Royce and he bumped into you and, oh, now my neck hurts and, oh, my knee hurts and all this kind of stuff. So we'll see how that goes. But usually if you don't have a case – and, and Devonte Adams will pay this guy to go away eventually, whatever it takes if it's not crazy – so it's just good though that he can go into the season. Hopefully this is this is behind him and no no other issues related to it because to your point emotions are high, you're on the field of play. When you're an NFL photographer, have you ever I mean I've seen we've seen numerous NFL photographers just get wasted on the sideline when there's a play going on. And I know this wasn't a play and it was it was a, an emotional moment, but it's no different to me. If you're an NFL photographer, listen, you just you're on the field, things can happen. So this guy should just, you know, Whatever Devonte Adams gives them, you know, maybe he can give them, a—I a, don't know—Chiefs. What's that guy? The Chiefs mascot that they're—that's evading the law, the wolf or coyote or whatever the hell he is. I don't know. Maybe they can—they could get them together and do something there. But oh well, that's the end of the Devonte Adams issue, and and we'll, we'll obviously follow up when we hear from the league on this one. The other interesting story, Mo, that I saw pop into the headlines was more Darren Waller. The, the media seems to, including the Las Vegas media seems to continue to want to cover and talk about Darren Waller. He's still in Las Vegas. We saw a picture of him training with Derek Carr. Like, that's some surprise. They're friends. They both obviously kept their house in Vegas, the Vegas housing market, even though these guys have both moved on to practically the East Coast for both of them. I know New York and then New Orleans down in the South. um, They're going to keep their house in Vegas. It's a smart investment, I would imagine. It's a great place to go to when it's cold back East. Um, But Darren Waller told the Review-Journal... That he wasn't surprised that he was traded, and it seems like Derek Carr, Waller, they were never really clicked in with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. Whatever, we know that now from what Derek Carr said. Now we have Darren Waller, and to Darren Waller's respect, he's been very respectful to the Raiders, thanks them for resurrecting his career, which shows what kind of guy he is, and he's a good dude. But what's interesting about all this is the subtext which is right hey I I wasn't surprised I was getting traded. We saw Darren Waller, we all believe, at least I do, he held in last offseason, he got his new deal and then he had trouble staying on the field. But mo this this shows you that there was just a disconnect between really uh the Raiders top 2 of the top 3 players and Derek Carr and Darren Waller last year with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler.
1: That's a to toot our our own horn but we've been saying for the past before months before the trade, even during the season, while the Raiders season was crumbling, we said that we could see Darren Waller being traded in the off season. Mm -hmm. Some people pushed back and said, no, they just gave him an extension and he's one of our best offensive playmakers. But we kept saying, first of all, we did, we thought that he shouldn't have gotten the extension, but that's a whole different story. But, From the period that you heard swirling rumors, I think these are the rumors that he talked about. Remember there were rumors that the Packers wanted Darren Waller in exchange for Devontae Adams in that blockbuster trade, but the Raiders weren't willing to part ways with Darren Waller. And then before the trade deadline, as the Raiders season again was crumbling, there were again rumors that Darren Waller could be traded if the Raiders decided to do a mini rebuild. That didn't happen, and we said that the Raiders should have taken a deal from the Packers for a second round pick because they would have got a second round pick instead of a third of for <laughs> for Waller. That's neither here nor there, but if we're hearing the rumors, you have to believe that he heard the whispers in the rumors too. So I'm not surprised that he's not surprised that he was moved. But of course, he said he was surprised it was the Giants, but I, I'm wondering what other team he heard about because I know the Packers were probably yeah. one of the teams that he did hear about. I'm wondering what who the which of the other teams were involved or in trade chat around him.
0: Yeah, and unlike the running back position which is completely devalued, um, the tight end position is the opposite, right? We talked about the cyclical nature yeah. of that. You go back 10 years ago, the tight end position seemed to be where the running back position is now. People weren't spending a lot of money or a lot of draft capital on those guys, but as the offense has changed, and so Darren Waller was a piece that you you really could have I think gotten more for. And and you know what? I, listen, I know I'm it's hindsight, I'm looking backwards, but to your point, Mo Had they traded him last season, they would have gotten a a better uh, spot as far as as draft capital goes and maybe even compensation. Who knows what else they could have gotten at that point. But but it's just interesting. And and again, I want to credit Waller. Waller's been very classy. Um, Clearly, it was not uh, the best position for him. They did not get along well for whatever reason. But he has been very classy. In the interview in the Las Vegas Review-Journal with uh, reporter Adam Hill, he talked about Still driving by the facility and how much he appreciated what the Raiders did and 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 he appreciates the fans too. So you got to respect him for any of that. Um, but have, it have ahead. you
1: heard? Sorry, Scott. Have you heard comments about people trying to twist his words? He had an interview. He was at the podium with a, at a press conference. I think a week or two for camp, ago. For
0: Giants And he Giants talked County.
1: about. Having input in the offense or having his basically having his voice heard or his input in the offense and, and coaches listening to the players and what they can do best. And people took that as a shot at the Raiders. So no. I, I I don't see it that way. I just think he was complimenting his current coaching staff. I think people right. try to find ways to, to manufacture beef. In, out here in the streets. And, and and I bring this up because you said he was very classy and I, and I agree with you. I think he's been very classy on his way out. He's very appreciative of the opportunity the Raiders gave him at a point in his career where he thought he, he wasn't going to have an NFL career. Yeah. John Gruden and, and, Greg, and Greg Olson plucked him out of off the Baltimore Ravens practice squad and, and here he is now as a Pro Bowl tight end who's probably going to lead the Giants in pass catches this upcoming season. So the Raiders mm-hmm. basically turned his life around. Not just his career but his life. So yeah. I, I would assume that He is very grateful to the writers, regardless of what happened last year and how it ended.
0: Yeah, and and people trying to find drama, it just never ends. I mean, it depends. (laughs) I mean, we find drama on what hats the hosts are wearing here. I wear a Padre hat, you wear a Brooklyn hat like you're wearing today, and people say it's a Nets hat, and then there's drama over that, even though it's not a Nets. It's like, people, (laughs) life, I mean, life is complicated as it is. Don't complicate it with trivial stuff, right? And I think to your point about that, too— now, yeah, in every system, it's different, right? But I don't know about you, Mo, but I don't want my tight end having too much input on the offense. He's a tight end. Yeah, okay, maybe maybe on how he fits in the offense, and I think that's what Darren Waller was referencing too, but each coaching mm-hmm. staff is different. We know Josh McDaniels kind of run. he just wants you to go out and execute. He's not necessarily looking for that input. He's a different type of coach. In New York, with Day it's a different type of situation. So you, you are – but trying to find the negative, that's just people who are trying to reinforce their view that they don't like the coach. And again, the coach has got to prove it to us, right? We talk about it on the show all the time. I'm not sitting here going to defend Josh McDaniels and the terrible job he did, especially early last year, but, but we're also not here to try to get the coach fired. That's not my role. I don't really think about that, and I know a lot of people do, so we'll see. One last item, though, from the news – And I know we're working on his schedule. He's going to be on the show real soon, which some of you are excited about. Others who live their lives with just silver and black glasses on, they don't like Michael Lombardi, even though his two sons work for the Raiders, by the way. Um, Lombardi was talking on the Pat McAfee show last week about Jimmy Garoppolo. And he basically, and I'm I'm just summarizing here because they went on for a little bit about it, but he says and swears the Raiders have no concern whatsoever about the injury that added the addendum, the foot injury, that surgery, all that jazz that we've talked about a couple times here on the show, that they are not concerned with Jimmy G's health at all. Uh, and now this, the fans are, we are, but apparently the Raiders don't seem too concerned. I think this goes back to what we talked about a couple shows ago, Mo, which is this coaching staff, this GM, if Jimmy G is a complete disaster, is not going to be good for them, but apparently they're not worried. What say you? Which I
1: think is interesting because the Raiders have no control over Jimmy G's body and how
0: it reacts. So <laughs> Exactly.
1: no matter how confident you are that he's going to be okay for training camp, we know Jimmy G's history. we said it a thousand times. He's, been, he's missed 18 games in the last three years. Oof. I'll say it again. He's missed 18 games in the last three years. So even if you are confident that he's back for training camp, how do you know he doesn't have a setback during training camp? He's probably not going to play during the preseason because he's a he's a savvy veteran. So they're not going to probably roll him out there for the preseason and risk him getting hurt. But he's got to get out there and practice with his teammates. And at any point and moment, he can re-injure that foot, which means the Raiders can let him go without paying him a dime, which is fine on, on the financial side. But on the football side, the winning loss, the win-loss side, not good because then you're going to have to start Brian Hoyer or Aiden O'Connell, which means you're probably only going to win two or three games in the upcoming season. So that's not ideal. <laughs> uh, and then again, you can be confident. I think this is just the Raiders just trying to put out, I'm not saying they're using Michael Lombardi. And I'm sure Michael Lombardi, as you said, has two sons on the staff, so He knows sure, what's going on. He sure. has the temperature of the room yeah. and he, his sons are probably telling him, look, we're not concerned. But to me, to not have a concern about another person's body, which you have no control over it, it, it you, you have to have some concern because you wouldn't have added the addendum in there if you did
0: uh. <laughs> Oh, that I, I think it's more. I mean, the way the way that it was framed, I think they're 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 the, the, the emphasis was on him returning to camp from this foot yes. injury. So if you if you compartmentalize it with what Michael said, I think that's what and I'm sure they don't. I think they, they expect him to be at camp. And if he's not at camp, uh, then they'll deal with it. But um, it's something that they don't seem to be concerned about. I know fans are, though. All right. We're going to take our first break here on Silver and Black today, the Tuesday edition here on the 27th of June. I cannot believe June is almost over, although one of my favorite holidays, 4th of July, is coming right up. But we will be back here talking more with Raiders. We're going to break down. Mo and I have given some thought on our clicks to pick. This can be a veteran or a rookie. On the offense and defense So the next two segments, we're going to go through those guys and tell you what we think and why coming up next year on Silver and Black Today and Odyssey Original Podcast. Don't go anywhere or we will find you.
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Who will show up for the Raiders in 2023? Who are going to be the players that have the greatest impact. We're going to give you our picks, both veteran and rookie, here on Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast covering your Las Vegas Raiders. He is Mo Moten, national NFL writer with Bleacher Report, also Raiders columnist at sportsnot.com. I'm Scott Gobranson, your co-host, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at LVGully. You can follow Mo at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N, and we are here talking to you, About the upcoming season. All right, Mo. I know we're trying to look at guys here and say, "Hey, who are the players that the Raiders either need to, or we think at this point, this is pure opinion. We haven't put pads on. Right? The 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 clear notification up front here. We want to make that clear that we we've not seen these guys on the field. We're going with our gut. And what we believe here to be true. So we're going to start with that. And what we wanted to do is start with the most important side of the ball, I think, for the Raiders, developing this team into a more championship-type roster, which is on the defense. Of course, they spent a lot of capital in the draft on defense, uh, and and so we want to start there. But, Mo, I think before we get started, let's talk about when we say pick-to-click, we think these are guys that might be poised to either regain some prior success or— maybe as a rookie come in and be successful talk to us about when you decided on your list kind of what was your uh what did your worldview look like when you decided to make these picks
1: when i made these picks it was more of what did i see from these players at previous spots perhaps under josh mcdaniels Hmm. or what did i see from these players that on the on the collegiate level that could, could translate to the nfl level and immediately help the raiders because Regardless of what people are gonna say, you know, some people say you need a mixture of draft picks and free agents, you need this, you need that. I still believe that you have to build through the draft, and I think the Raiders, even though some of their picks came late, you hear some names that I that I highlight that are not day one picks. But I think the Raiders really feel like some of these guys in, in the middle of late rounds could contribute right away. And I think it is important that they do because the Raiders weren't very active in free agency in terms of getting high high-profile players. Now, they did resign a bunch of players, and they got some role players in free agency. But I think they're expecting some of their young rookies in the third, fourth, fifth round to contribute right away, and I'll highlight those guys today.
0: All right, there you go. So we're going to get started. Mo, I'm going to get started uh, with the defense because I want to get your reaction because I think this is going to shock you, and I think you're going to disagree with me. Uh-oh. Ooh, imagine that. We'll start off that. But I- I'm starting on defense with my pick-to-click as a veteran – a veteran who so many Raider fans are disappointed in and we're disappointed in. And I'm going to say that one of the guys that bounce backs is Chandler Jones. That's right, the defensive end. Listen, I don't think he's going to be a 15-sack guy. I'm not saying that. But I am going to say he's going to get between 8 and 10, okay? And if you look at age, I know age is a factor. We've talked about that many times on the show. But the last five years, as you know, in full seasons – the least amount of sacks he had was his last year in Arizona before he became a Raider, which was 10 and a half. And I think that with Crosby, with Tyree Wilson, if he comes back from the injury, it'll take him a few weeks. You know, I don't expect Tyree Wilson to really heavily contribute to maybe week three or five, somewhere around there. Um, I think he is a big deal for this team. And if he can get it going, and I think he will, then suddenly you're going to let Max Crosby free up a little bit. You're going to let some of the talent you've added in the inside. And then Tyree Wilson, to spell him... He doesn't have to have a stellar rookie season, I th- even if he does. He can come in and, and, and fill that spot, too, and learn from the veteran. It just seems to me that this is a guy, unless we've seen it before, we saw it with Corey Littleton, who just suddenly went the other way. It happens. But I think Chandler Jones coming in, if healthy, is a guy who will pick it back up. And again, I'm not saying he's going to be all pro. I'm just saying he's going to put in a solid year because his record dictates that he will.
1: I don't actually, actually, I don't totally necess- necessarily disagree with you. I've said, I think I've said this on the show or on Twitter that for Chandler Jones, less is going to be more for him. Mm. So what I mean by that is by the time Tyree Wilson's able to pick up and play a significant amount of snaps, which to me were probably between week six and eight because he is coming off of a foot injury. You start to see Chandler Jones snaps taper down a bit. And that may be best for a player his age at 33 years old, that he gets fewer snaps and more designated pass rushing uh um, Defensive snaps on defense side of the ball, where he's picking his spots, so to speak. And I, but I do think I, why I say he lands is I think he gets seven, six to seven sacks. Simply okay. because so we're close, I, we're I don't not know, that far away, right? Not that far off. But simply because I don't know with with Patrick Graham's defensive scheme, it seemed like Chandler Jones is more the contain guy on the edge versus an aggressive pass rusher. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on how Patrick Graham uses him. But I do think he's going to have a better season. This year than he did have last year because as we remember once the J- Rays acquired Taylor, J- Jerry Tillery, we saw Chandler Jones play a lot better because there was some pressure on the inside. Now they have Byron Young, a third round rookie. Jerry tillery's is back who they resigned, so Chandler Jones should be able to pick up where he left off before he had that elbow injury at the end of the year. The question is, how much is Tyree Wilson going to play, and how mm-hmm. much? Is he going to cut into Chandler Jones' time on the field once he is fully healthy? That that'll affect his stats. But I will say, Chandler Jones feels confident in himself. He's he's now the lean, mean grilling machine out there. He's dropped some weight, and <laughs> he, he said he he he's in he's in great shape. And a lot of players say they're in great shape at this point in the offseason. But dropping weight at his age is a big deal because now he's more lean. He can probably he has more wind. And as I said, with that help on the inside, he can have a better season in twenty twenty three than he had last year.
0: Yes, and I really believe when I when I chose him as my pick-to-click on the defense, I think he is vital, vital to the first eight games of the season. After that, I think Tyree Wilson will have his rotations. He'll increase. You'll see his time increase as he recovers from the injury and gets the speed of the game down. So I think that's what they need. They need Chandler Jones to have a really solid and great first half of the season until the rookie gets up to speed, and then you'll see probably – his snaps go down, which is fine. That's He knows at this at this age he's there to tutor the kid, and he can be that kind of player for them, that role player for them. Uh, but but I think that's key for him is to start off hot and to start off quick for him. All right, Mo, let's jump to your first pick-to-click for 2023 on the Raiders' defense.
1: On the Raiders' defense, first pick-to-click to, for me is going to be Jacorian Bennett. A lot of people have heard me talk about Jacorian Bennett. There were some whispers out of, out of uh, Minotaur Minicamp that he's looked good. Now, I know we've talked about it on the show. They're not in pads yet. They're not running any, you know, complex plays yet. they were in shorts and T-shirts. But the fact that he's had some flashes early is a good sign, simply because the Raiders have not signed Marcus Peters yet, even though Vic Tate from the Athletics said it seems likely that they will sign him. Regardless if they sign Peters or not, they're going to need and Bennett to step up because it looks like Mm -hmm. Nate Hobbs is going to be back in the slot because there's one thing that I didn't talk about during the last show that was an interesting nugget in Vic's piece. He said that Nate Hobbs, and I'm paraphrasing, he said that Nate Hobbs wants to be in the slot and he's going to have to battle Tyler Hall for that position. So if Nate Hobbs is in the slot, Someone has to play on the outside, even if Marcus Peters is on the boundary. Somebody has right. to start opposite him, and I think that's going to be Jacorian Bennett. And I think having Peters and Bennett on the outside will probably be one of the Raiders' best. How should I say this? I don't want to say ball hawking duels because Jacorian Bennett hasn't proven it yet. But of the cornerback duels that the Raiders have had in the previous seasons, I think these are the two guys that could finally rack up some turnovers because Jacorian Bennett did it at Maryland, and Marcus Peters has done it throughout his career. So assuming that they get Marcus Peters and Jacorian Bennett steps up, I think the Reds will finally, finally be able to force some more turnovers in their secondary.
0: Yeah, and Ja'Korian Bennett's on my list too, so we killed two birds with one, one stone there. But I mean, if you think about it, like you said, 24 total pass breakups at Maryland, five interceptions in his two seasons there as a Terrapin. Uh, so he's around the ball and he he makes things happen. So in the NFL especially, even with pass breakups, right, with help on the other side, uh, you can get the ball up in the air, pass it, and, and, and hopefully your safety comes through for you too. But I do think – I mean, he also, though, Mo, has that perimeter and slot versatility. So depending on the alignment – if they need him to go, now I don't like I said, I think he's got the perimeter locked down. I think that's where he's going to be. No question, but in certain situations he can also play in the slot if he has to. But in the AFC West, with the offenses they are going to face, the quarterbacks they are facing now, the three other quarterbacks, you know, just crazy, he almost has to come through for this team, right? I mean, it's not even a question of, well, gee, I hope he does. He sort of has to, and I think he's up to the task. I really do. We'll have to see later in July as we go into camp. But I think this pick-to-click is, is perhaps one of the most important for the Raiders in 2023.
1: Absolutely. The question with Ja'Cory Bennett is not whether he can make plays on the football, is can he keep his penalties down? Because that was the big yeah. thing for him in college, that he could be handsy down the field. But I, I feel like that's a lot of young cornerbacks – Sometimes they panic or get out of position. They want to use their hands. If you've paid attention to to training camps in in previous seasons, you'll see a lot of cornerbacks wear gloves or mittens on their hands. It prevents them from grabbing. It teaches them not to grab on the field, use their feet, use their body position to cover a guy versus using their hands. I think you'll see that with Ja'Korey and Bennett if that's a practice that the Raiders have at training camp.
0: Absolutely. All right. So w- there we go. We both have Jaquorian Bennett as a pick to click on the defense. So Mo and I uh, share that one. I've said Chandler Jones. I'm going to go to my second pick here, Mo. And I think this is another guy who has to bounce back for this Raiders team and is very important. And I think he will. And that's safety Trayvon Morig. If you look at Morig and what he said publicly, especially in through minicamp and camp, Is He's watched more film, which tells me that maybe last year the difference between his rookie year and his sophomore season with the Raiders was maybe a little bit of focus issues, right? But now he says he's learning more concept. He's, quote, unquote, learning more football. That's a good sign he's spending time. And he needs to because if you look at the PFF score from last year, dropped 17 points between year one and two in receiving yards allowed, uh, and that more than doubled year to year. So he's got to create more turnovers. We talked about Ja'Korian Bennett maybe being those guy, one of those guys who could do that because he is a ball hawk. Trayvon Moore has to get there. He was more like that, that, that initial rookie season. But when you look at his game, I think that he's poised to do that. If he's really getting his head in there, he's got the physical abilities. It seemed to me last year, Mo, that he lost focus, and a lot of times he didn't seem to be – I think in tune with what the defense and what Patrick Graham is doing, I think that changes this season.
1: Interesting thing is I, I believe and anyone can correct me if I'm wrong in this. I believe he gave up four or five touchdowns last year, which yes. was surprising Huge. to me. Um, a lot of times out of position. Now after his rookie year, we said if he can hold down to some of those footballs, he can have more interceptions. Now after his second year, we're thinking, okay, he's got to get himself in position and get back to the basics. I'm a, I may be a little more concerned about Trayvon Merrick than you are. I, I and I, get, I hope he bounces back and has a bounce back third year. But I just feel like there may be a fit issue with him and Patrick Graham. Mm. Now remember, the Raiders drafted Merrick while Gus Bradley was the defensive coordinator. And Gus Bradley runs a cover three very consistently. Patrick Graham likes to run man coverage. Not that that matters as much for safety as it does a cornerback, but I think it does matter in scheme philosophy shift where he may not be the best fit under Patrick Graham as he was under Gus Bradley. So I wouldn't be surprised if someone takes over his position, maybe a Chris Smith, the second, who they draft in the fifth round of the draft. I won't name him as a player to click, but I will say <laughs> keep your eye on him if Trayvon America continues
0: to struggle. Yeah, and, and again, though, they, they need they need better safety play. And and you agree, I, I, I'm picking him to click. I, I do have concerns as well, I think, to, to your point about system fit. But I like what he said about studying more football and getting to know uh, those systems better. That tells me that maybe last year he didn't do that, and then he got way behind and just could never catch up. So hopefully by doing so this year and maybe spending time with that defensive coaching staff that he's going to be able to play. All right, Mo, what's your second pick-to-click here for the defense?
1: I'm going to go with Devon Diablo, big swole right in the middle ah. of that defense. He's he's probably, we talked about Ja'Cory and Bennett being very important. I think he's a central key to this defense right now because to me, if you don't have the the linebacker position shored up, then your defense is going to have problems because that's the guy that's that's relaying the calls from the coach's staff to the players on the field. That's, that's the guy who has to cover tight ends who has to track down running backs from sideline to sideline that linebacker position to despite a lot of people say that it's devalued I get it it's very important to if you're going to revamp your defense I've said that plenty of times Big Swole talked about his uh comfortability if that's a word in camp that he's more comfortable in Patrick Graham's scheme his first year he was just kind of learning the scheme now he's more comfortable he understands the concepts and we hope that he takes a big step because if he doesn't the Raiders weren't very active in free agency with the linebacker position. They brought in Roberts Blaine, but he's a two-down linebacker who can't cover. They didn't draft a linebacker until the sixth round of the draft, and they haven't brought in a linebacker yet. So they, it seems like they're banking on Devon Diablo to have a big year. And if he doesn't, it's going to prove to be a big mistake that they weren't more active in free agency or the draft at the position.
0: Yeah, the, I mean, we, we rail on this show about linebackers, right? <laughs> the fact that the Raiders don't have any uh, as well. Uh, and so so we have your your, your two, Ja'Korian Bennett, which we agreed on so we, we don't have to go through my third pick, Devon Diablo, and now your third pick on the defense, Mo.
1: Third pick is going to be Byron Young. And this is a pick mm. that I was initially critical of with the Raiders. Yep. And then, again, I looked at a little more film and what he was able to do at Alabama. And how he was able to clean up after Will Anderson Jr., who went third to the Houston Texans. I think if you have a pass rush on the outside, Byron Young could pop because if guys are paying attention to Chandler Jones and Max Crosby on the outside, then Byron Young is going to have his opportunities to get after the quarterback. Now, he's more known as a run stuffer, but I do think he has some pass rush ability. He showed that in his last year at Alabama. Remember, he played behind some Alabama is consistently churning out NFL talent, so he wasn't able to play a lot of snaps early in his collegiate career. Got a big role in his last year at Alabama and showed that he could not only stuff the run, but rush the passer. Now, remember what Vic Taper said in his earlier piece, I believe this was before mandatory minicamp, he said that basically Jerry Tillery has a bear hug on one of the starting roles or prominent positions at defensive tackle. Everyone else is fighting for a role. So what that tells me is that Byron Young could be the replacement for Blau Nichols, who played most of the snaps at defensive tackle last year. I think if Byron Young has a strong training camp, a strong preseason, you'll see him on, on the field for about 65 to 70% of the snaps.
0: And it's that situation on the inside. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. And Byron Young, good pick. And 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 certainly if he does well, it bodes well for this Raiders defense. Is competition to me on the inside Well, guys will get disappointed. Bolal Young will be disappointed if he's not the number one inside defensive tackle there. But even if he's not, the competition breeds better play. It breeds guys being in better shape because they're trying to get that job, right? So then, when the season rolls around, the rotation you have there of guys and the depth you have there—if they're playing at the top of their game and one guy just barely beats out the other, whatever it may be—and to me, that's important for this team is to really get to a spot. Uh, where where they can have, if a guy goes down or if a guy needs a blow, they can come in and feel like they have a guy who's ready to do that. So I, I like to see Bilal Nichols have, and he had good he had good year last year in many places, but I'd like to see him pick it up a notch along with everybody else so that that interior defense can not only do what they did last year, but also start to create more of a push up the middle. All right, so there you go. That is our pick-to-click three players uh, and Mo and I had one in common with Jacorian and Bennett, that kid's exciting, uh, on the defense. Now, when we come back from the break for the final segment of the show, we're going to go through the offense. Yes, there are offensive players to talk about. Uh, even though the offense is in a pretty good situation, there are three guys on each side of the ball that we're going to talk about. So we will conclude the show right after this break with that. You're listening to Silver and Black today in Odyssey Original Podcast. Mo and Scott will be back with you right after these words. Welcome back. It is the home stretch here on Silver and Black today, an Odyssey Original podcast covering the Raiders. That's right, your Las Vegas Raiders. We are 75 days away from training camp, so we're trying to get you through. We're trying to give you some football talk, some Raiders talk, some Silver and Black smack, whatever you want to do. We're here to do it. I'm Scott Gobrantz, your host, along with my co host, Mo Moten. You can catch his work up on Bleacher Report, where he covers the entire league. The NFL, he also is the Raiders columnist up on sportsnot.com. What do you got coming up this week as we sit here on Tuesday, Mo?
1: Really quick, Scott. You, you're giving us a long vacation. You said 75 days of training camp. We've even 75 days to the regular season.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. There you go.
1: Because <laughs> if, if it was 35 days of training camp, I'd probably go to Aruba somewhere and come Thank back. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it is not it's 70, no, 70,
0: 75 days till the season opener in week one. Thank you. See, I you get off kilter when the when it's dead like this, you're just like, what's going on? I, yeah, it's I about looked
1: at my calendar, and started planning trips.
0: It's about yeah, it's 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 less than well, just over 30 days until camp starts. Mm-hmm. But what do you got coming up? Tell people what they gotta read this week online as they're perusing their phone looking for football jazz.
1: So I'm gonna be a little more critical. I know we're doing picks to click here on both sides of the ball. I'm gonna have a, a column up on sports not Players under the most pressure ahead of mm. training camp. So these are the guys that if they don't show out at training camp, if they don't have a good summer, they could either lose their job, lose a spot in the rotation, defensive line, or possibly be traded or cut. Because it was we all know every year there's a surprise cut in late Always. August, early September. Now, this year is going to be different than previous years, where there's just going to be one big cut. It's not going to be one or two multiple rounds of cuts as they were last year. I think we've cut it down to like 75, 80, then go to 53. It's just going to go from 90, which is the maximum right now, down to 53 before the season. So I think there's, as there are every year, there are going to be some surprising cuts, and I'll get under, get on into some players that are going to be under the most pressure going into camp for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, and we will cover that on Thursday's show. So if you're with us and you have ADHD and you don't want to read – Mo will walk us through that piece uh, as well, so we'll be able to talk about that. As well as we're going to get to the mailbag. Of course, we didn't have one last week. We got some backed up, some folks who are ready to, to spout off a little bit about us. It has nothing to do with the hats we wear. It's all about the football, so we will talk about that as well. Okay, Mo, let's jump in. I'm going to have you start on this one. When we look at this offense, of course— Jimmy Garoppolo, so much revolves around what's going to happen with him. Is he going to be able to stay healthy, number one? That's the number one and 1A one question. Question number two is, when he does play, how well does he play with the pieces around him? He's got a great receiving core, as we know. It's been boosted at every position for the most part. Uh, and so I want to start there with you. And you have you tell us, when you look at this offense and you look at three players uh let's start with your first guy. Who's gonna pick to click or who's your pick to click, I should say, on the offense for 2023?
1: First guy is gonna be my guy, Jermaine Illuminar. He's yeah. been very vocal on Twitter about you know he's he's gonna do better this year after having his opportunity, have another opportunity to start in the NFL. And I think he's gonna continue to show that he is a starting right tackle in this league because it's not set in stone yet. Remember, the Raiders were interested in as it was rumored from Peter King of uh, NBC Sports, who spent time in the Raiders' uh, draft war room, that the Rays were interested in Paris Johnson, and he and Paris Johnson was probably if the Rays had got him was probably going to play right tackle because Colt Miller is entrenched over there on the left side. So Jermaine Luminar's spot isn't solidified, even though he had a pretty good year last year. There's still some whispers that Brendan Parker could push him. They Mumford Jr., who alternated uh, drives with him last year, could push him at training camp. So he still has a lot to prove. The Raiders didn't give him a massive deal. Uh, they gave him still a pretty modest deal. I believe he's still making under $5 million on a one-year contract. So he's still in that prove-it stage, but I think he rises to the occasion and shows the Raiders that, look, next year you're going to have to pay me more money because I am a starting right tackle in the league.
0: Right, and and I'm going to go a step further, Mo. I want the Jermaine Illuminor uh, disrespect to stop, because I don't think he deserves it. I, I think it's completely out of whack, and I'm with you. I think Jermaine Illuminor is a pick-to-click for me as well. The misnomer that the Raiders' offensive line was bad last year has got to stop, too. We could talk about it on the show. Yes, they started off rough. It was a new group, guys trying to fit into different spots, and they struggled early, but they came together, and towards the end of the season, they got much better. And if you look at Illuminor it's in, in, in particular – This is from PFF. He ranked in the top 32 of offensive tackles. Now you say, well, 32 offensive, that's 32 teams. Yeah, but there's two on each team, right? And he was right in the middle. And for him, where he's come from, that's a remarkable stat. And this is what they said. They said, quote, Illuminar took a big step forward last season in his first full year as a starter. Remember that. Fifth round draft pick. Fifth round. In 2017, he produced a 75-plus PFF pass blocking and run blocking grade in 22." 2022, he allowed 26 total pressures over the course of the season, but surrendered just seven, seven across the final six games of the year. So I look at Jermaine Illuminor And I think, to your point, yeah, he might have competition there, but I think he's now reached that point in his career where he's ready, he wants to fight, he feels as though he's there. He feels it. And I think when you're a player and you feel that success, you're right on the precipice of it, you're ready to jump up. Now, the biggest issue for him, and he said this himself, if you see the comments and the interviews he's done, consistency. There's a great interview with him. uh, Eddie Pascoe over at the Raiders did a great interview with him. I suggest you guys watch that uh, or listen to it. And and that's what he said. He's like, I have to get more consistent. I have to get more consistent. And I think Mo, he does get more consistent. Listen, I like the guy a lot, but am I going to say he's going to be an all-pro? No, I'm not saying that, but I think he's going to continue on his journey to become a more consistent and better tackle in this league.
1: PFF actually listed the Raiders as having one of the top 10 offensive tackle duels in the league and that's yeah. not just because of colton miller it's because of jermaine luminar and the grades that they gave him last year so i think people are overlooking him because if i i've looked through twitter and it's kind of a mixed bag there are some people who say yeah jermaine luminar is underrated and then there are some people that say jermaine luminar is overrated and i think part of that's because he's vocal on twitter so if you say something if you're critical of him yeah. he will clap back at you so i think sure. some people are are a little you know there's some tension there because of what he may have said to a person on twitter or how he feels about certain things or maybe his response to certain people on twitter may have rubbed some people the wrong way but I, i think he is a starting right tackle in this league now after a slow start in his career where he he basically admitted he didn't take advantage of his opportunities in new england and in baltimore the other issue with jermaine luminar before he gets to the training camp before he even steps on the field He's gotta fix his taste buds. He doesn't like avocados. <laughs> I, I think I think he said he was in I think he was in Texas this past weekend and he said he had avocado toast. I didn't see his reply to that. He said he would give his review of the avocado toast, but he he does not like avocados. Jermaine, if you're listening to the show or someone's gonna clip this and send it to Jermaine, please, Jermaine, give avocados a chance. It may be an acquired taste with some people, but as you get older, Jermaine, I'm older than you, I'm thirty seven years old. Let me tell you, <laughs> as you get older, avocados taste a lot better on toast or anything you added
0: to well and i know being the athlete that he is avocados are great too for your (laughs) ldl the good cholesterol right so but now here's the thing and and i hope we get him on the show soon but we will send him (laughs) the clip jermaine because you do need to like avocados because avocado toast is a little bit of a a trendy kind of hipster thing now mo i know you eat it i'm not calling you trendy or hipster well trendy maybe but hipster (laughs) no um but but i will tell you there's so many ways to use avocado and, I mean, dude, Jermaine, you got to like guacamole with chips, right, man? I mean, there's got to be something you like there. But we'll convince you. Mo does the smoothie. Maybe when you're out in New York, we, we, we connect you, and he, he takes you for an avocado smoothie, and you spit it out or you like it. Whatever. We'll figure it out. But uh, good stuff. All right. That is Jermaine Illuminar. We agree on that one. That is both one of our picks. So I'm going to let you go. I'm going to go with my second pick here, Mo, uh, and then we'll get back to yours. My pick to click on the offense is Zamir White. The running back. Now, a lot of you are going to say, well, Josh Jacobs is a starter. Yeah, Josh Jacobs is a starter. I still think he'll be in camp. I still think they'll work out the thing with the tag. I'm not that worried, even despite the subtweets we've seen that continue from Josh Jacobs. I think he's there. I think he's ready to play ball, and I know the Raiders will count on him. But regardless of that situation, remember, Zamir White last year, game-high carries was three. That's the most he had in a game, was three, okay? But if you look at Ziegler, Josh McDaniels, the system they've run, the type of player that succeeds in that system at the running back position, he is built for that. And I say they need to, and they've said publicly, Mo, in the last several weeks that they need to balance the load at running back more. That was not a shot at Josh Jacobs to get into camp or contract posturing. That was getting back to the way this offense is most efficiently run. And Zamir White has to get more. Not only that, but because of the Jacobs situation after this year, after the tag, they also have to decide whether or not he's going to be their bell cow back moving forward if Jacobs is gone.
1: Yeah, you basically said everything I was going to say about Zamir White being one of the picks (laughs) to clicks, So we agree there. And regardless of what happens with Jacobs over the next few weeks, whether he gets a new contract or not, the Raiders have to use Zamir White a lot more because – they could, if they re sign Jacobs, well, if they franchise tag Jacobs and he signs that tender eventually and gets back to the camp on that one year deal, they could run into this situation with his contract again next offseason. So, Zamir White, I, I think, needs to be prepared to have to carry a bigger low because the Raiders probably, probably want to give themselves a little more leverage when it comes to Josh Jacobs if they have to face the situation again. Now, if Josh Jacobs signs a multi year deal, I still think Zamir White should have a bigger low because. As we've seen in previous years, not in 2022, but in previous years before that, Josh Jacobs can get nicked up. I remember he made a comment saying he liked having Kenyon Drake around, not because they're Bama guys, but because he gets to have a breather and he could be healthier for the duration of the season. So Josh Jacobs doesn't mind sharing the load. I think he understood that he was going to go into free agency, so he needed to have a big year. But going forward, assuming he, if he gets his new contract, I don't think he would mind yielding some carries or yielding a significant number of carries to Zemir White because I think having two running backs who can run the ball very well is beneficial to both running backs, especially the older, more veteran player.
0: Absolutely. But yeah, I, and I, I just want to see him uncork it, right? I want to see him have some games where, where, because you know what, there are times when even Josh Jacobs, There's lulls, there's times he might be nicked up or whatever. You just need to change a pace a little bit. And I think Zamir White, back to the bell cow back stuff, you have to decide whether or not he is going to be the future of that position because no matter what happens with Josh Jacobs, even if he were to sign a three-year deal, you just never know, and you have to have that guy ready to go. And if not, they have to think about what they're going to do with the position three, four, five years down the road. So I like Zamir White. All right, your second pick-to-click on the offense.
1: I'll, I'll say this is my third since we agreed on Zemir White and I won't rehash it.
0: Oh, we did agree on Zemir. Two of the we, offense we, we agreed on. Nice.
1: Right. So I, I'll say this. I'll I'll zig. I'll zig when I was gonna zag here. I was oh. gonna say I was gonna go to wide receiver, but I'm gonna go with tight end Michael Mayer.
0: Oh, right? now we're three for Your three, guy. dude. That was my third. <laughs> Your that was my guy. third. guy.
1: And I, I, I was gonna say Jacoby Myers, but I I switched to Michael Mayer simply for this reason. We know how important the tight end position is to Josh McDaniels and his offense. We've seen it before. I'm not saying Michael Mayer it has to be Rob Gronkowski in his rookie year, <laughs> but I think he's going to put up big numbers simply because of the way it's a, tight, it's a tight end friendly offense. And I think having Devontae Adams on the perimeter opens things up for other players. And I think it'll open up for Michael Mayer. Jacoby Myers, even with the Patriots, he hasn't been more, he hasn't been a, a scoring machine and not even a guy who scores a ton of touchdowns. As I said, I believe he set a record for most games played without scoring a touchdown Mm. over your first few seasons. So I I think of the guys that could be the secondary pass-catching option in the offense, I think it's going to be Michael Mayer. Because if you look at Jimmy G's history in San Francisco, and I said this on a previous show, and I wrote about this, he likes to throw to the middle of the field. That's where your tight ends Mm eat in the offense. That's where the tight ends Bus uh, zone coverage. That's where the tight ends challenge safeties and linebackers who struggle cover in coverage. That's where Michael Mayer is going gonna, is gonna to make his money, make his bones in the middle of the field. And I think Jimmy G, he had, a, he had some ye- great years with George Kittle, who became a pro bowl, all pro tight end. I think Michael Mayer has the same ceiling with the Raiders, assuming Jimmy G is healthy and out there on the field for most of the season.
0: What's interesting, too, is remember all the folks in, that, that were critical of the Raiders' former quarterback and they call them check down, Charlie, and all that kind of stuff. Jimmy yep. G likes to check down, like to your point, to the middle of the field too. And so, yep. so, so if you if you don't like check downs, you're in for a dope. By the way, Tom Brady won six <laughs> Super Bowls that way. So, so it doesn't matter if they check down if the offense is moving dynamically. But I agree on Mayor. He was there. He's a freak at the position, not because he's a freak athlete. In fact, the reason he moved down in the draft was. His combine wasn't super fantastic. Like he didn't have any eye-popping numbers in the vertical and all these different other, uh, you know, the the shoot, the shuttle, all that stuff. He did not do that, so that's why he fell. But he will be the Raiders' number one tight end because he catches and he's smart. When you watch his route running, now being a Notre Dame fan, I was fortunate I watched him every week he played, and you just watch how his feel for the game, and it's hard to— It's hard to explain that to people unless you've watched him a lot. But when you watch him a lot, that's what you'll see. And so, because he's not the freak athlete, uh, that's, you know, Anthony Richardson's a perfect example of that guy had barely played college football, and he goes in the first round and is going to be the savior of the Indianapolis Colts, apparently. So you see that, but with Michael Mayer, it's not that. The Raiders got extremely lucky. It wasn't that they somehow scouted this amazing player. They got lucky he fell there, okay, which luck is fine. But I will tell you this, Tumo, you talked about this offense being friendly to the tight end. But you add in Austin Hooper, and people are like, Austin Hooper, Austin Hooper. Listen, they can now set up in a two tight end set, which we saw a lot of in New England with two guys who can both play that position really, really well. I'm not saying Austin Hooper is going to light the world on fire, but he is a solid and good and steady veteran, okay? So him and Mayer, those, I'm very excited about two tight end sets this year because of these two guys.
1: Let, let's remember that Austin Hooper was a two-time Pro Bowl when he had yeah. Matt Ryan in Atlanta. Now people would say, well, look at what he did last year. I mean, he was in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> Who's putting up numbers with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback? Tell me the last wide receiver that put up big numbers with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. I'm just saying that Tennessee, first of all, Tennessee Titans offense is run heavy with Derrick Henry. We know he's the engine of that offense. Everything else is complimentary. I will say that people are talking down on Austin Hooper, but I think he's going to have a pretty decent year, specifically as a pass catcher, until Michael Mayer comes along. I think Michael Mayer is going to take over, and he might be second on the team in catches, and uh touchdown receptions behind Devontae Adams.
0: Yeah, and I think I think on a on a show, especially in this period between now and camp, we should maybe break down a little bit. I know we're not film guys, but I think we should break down a little bit about that two tight end set and what this offense can do because it's very dynamic. I mean, you think, well, two tight ends, you know, you don't but you have the two tight ends, you have the running game and the options you have there, and especially if you have two tight ends who can catch, right? Because if you just have a blocking tight end and everybody knows it's a blocking tight end, the guy doesn't have hands, then you know exactly if they're going to go to the tight end who they're throwing to. With Austin Hooper there, they can go both sides. They can they can switch it up. Quarterback can make a call at the line, do things differently and go through and progress through his reads and have more options. So I think we should talk about that a little bit. Maybe we'll get somebody on uh, who's much more of an expert than we are. But man, if I'm a Raiders fan on that offense, I know you're excited about the wide receiver core and Devontae Adams and all that. But Michael Mayer added into that mix, and not just because of my Notre Dame bias, is going to be really cool to watch. And it might, yeah, it might take him a few weeks to get used to that. It might not. He might jump in there. We'll see how he does in camp. But he might jump in there right away and just steal the show. We'll see. I know a lot of the the writers on the ground at camp seem to think that that might happen.
1: Now I know we're a bit, I'm a bit early on this comment, and we're gonna have our silver and black today fantasy football league. But Michael Mayer might be one of my late round sleepers for the tight end position because you guys all know it's hard to find a consistent contributing tight end in fantasy yeah. football. I yeah. would say if you're if you're in a league early, drafting super duper early, put Michael Mayer in your cave because I think he's gonna be involved in the offense very heavily, assuming that he's back on the field because he missed some parts of the spring workouts for undisclosed reasons. He signed late also, but mm-hmm. I don't think that those two things are connected simply because your current Bennett signed late and he was on the field. So right. I think assuming he's back on the field and he's fine and no injuries, I think he's going to take off pretty quickly. And I've said this before, he's going to be, I think of the Raiders rookie class, he's going to be their biggest contributor.
0: That's right. Not a bad, not a bad uh, position to be in for the Raiders when you look at that. So there you go. Our pick to clicks, our picks, Get my tense right. Picks to click <laughs> <laughs> on offense for the Raiders in twenty twenty three. Well, there you go, man. We agreed on all three on offense, and we didn't compare notes before the show. We just—that's the nope. three we went in with, which uh, is really interesting, but uh, but but important for this team if they're going to move forward. And of course, that's if their quarterback st- sits upright, um, uh, so that Brian Hoyer doesn't have to play. Because Brian Hoyer, remember he. He was going to retire after last season, said he was kind of done with football and wasn't really into football, and now he's back. So I don't know about you guys. I know he knows the system, but a guy who didn't want to play football anymore just six months ago, I don't think I want leading my team at this point.
1: It's funny. We didn't mention uh, the quarterback position in our picks to click. and We didn't. And, I, I'll, say, and I'll say this. Other than – and fans, Raider fans that have listened to us know this. I wasn't a fan of the Jimmy G signing, and it's not only because of his injury history. I just think he's a low mid tier quarterback. I, I hate if you're a Jimmy Garoppolo fan. I'm sorry, Jimmy Garoppolo, if you're listening to this, Jimmy Garoppolo's family, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but I, I I just I'm just not excited about Jimmy G. I've talked to a lot of 49ers fans, and I think we should bring in one of the writers from Sports Illustrated, Jose Sanchez, who does a great job covering the team because he's he actually goes to these practices and he's very, very honest about 49ers covering them. I, I think he'll give you some insight of what Jimmy G does in the pocket. Not just the negatives or not just the positives, but just to give you a clear view and it just it just doesn't excite me. He's not the if you're thinking Jimmy G is going to go out there and sling the football over the field, it's not going to happen. He's more of a conservative quarterback, not a lot of movement can get outside the pocket on bootlegs, but he's going to as you say, he's going to target the middle of the field. He's going to be more efficient than high volume in, in the passing game. So not a lot of guys are going to have big numbers. Maybe Devontae Adams, maybe Michael Mayer, but other than that, I don't see big numbers. And that's why I switched from Jacoby Myers to Michael Mayer because Jimmy G is more comfortable throwing to the tight end than he is outside the numbers. And we'll get some guys to maybe gals to talk about Jimmy G's game. But I, I feel like, yes, the quarterback position is the most important position, so we have to mention it. But I just don't see Jimmy G having a spectacular season He'll have some modest numbers, nothing to write home about. But his job is going to be to keep the offense steady.
0: And Mo, I will tell you now, uh, because we've—I've had a lot of our, especially on YouTube, our viewers think that we are Jimmy G lovers. Like we're we're making defense for him all the time, which I don't know what they're listening really? to. Really? But, but no, <laughs> I've def- I've defended some of his past success, which has nothing to do with the numbers and how he plays the game. Cause he has had some past success, but I will tell you this. If you look, I think the, the biggest issue really for Raider fans, listen to me, mark this down. You can, you can save this recording here and come back and tell me if I'm right. I think the biggest frustration and you just hit on it for Raider nation this year, watching Jimmy Garoppolo, if he's playing is going to be, there's not a big vertical game going on. He's not going 40 yards downfield. Right? He might eh, every once in a while on Cork or 30 yard especially with Adams. If Adams is wide open, yeah, you'll see touchdown passes and long passes that go over 30 yards. But as far as targeted throws over 18 yards, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like under 20 yards is where he lives, okay? So if you're expecting that vertical game, i.e. the cliff branch, all those glory days, it's not going to happen. So you have to manage your expectations. Now, when they get a younger quarterback in who might have a arm, that might change a little bit. You free up the system a little bit. But he is a system quarterback to the T, and he will not be risky with the ball, which is good for the Raiders. It means less turnovers, right? But it also means dink, dunk, dink, dunk. You move down the field, and then you score.
1: Less explosive plays downfield. I'm not reading in between the lines, but if you remember what Devontae said to Murray in that in that in that player profile, he talked about if Jimmy G has to play the position a certain way, yeah, then there could be limitations to the offense. But if he can get Jimmy G to kind of, I guess in, in my own words, I would say freestyle a little bit. I, I think those were Devontae's concerns is that concerns that he's not gonna challenge defenses down the field, but if he can get Jimmy G to kind of push the ball downfield a bit. And use him as a, as a vertical threat, they'll be fine. I think that's one of his concerns about the offense going to the training camp that he voiced to Murray Vader in that in that piece. But as I, I'm I'm actually shocked people think I'm a Jimmy G lover because I think I've been <laughs> every week I've been saying no Jimmy G for the Raiders, no Jimmy G for the Raiders for multiple reasons. But I think part of that is. People see that we, we're not crying tears over moving off from Derek Carr, so they assume that we're Jimmy G lovers, which is not mm. the case here. I yeah. think that, yeah, it, it was time for Derek Carr and time for the Reds and Derek Carr to part ways and move on from each other. But I wasn't exactly doing jumping jacks and doing cartwheels over Jimmy G because I, I watched a lot of 49er games, them being on national TV a lot. And he even if he is healthy, he just does not –
0: wow me at all no and and the fans who want in Raider Nation who really wanted to move on from Derek Carr and they had they had their position and a lot of it was valid as you just mentioned you know to Mm -hmm. go from Derek Carr to Jimmy Garoppolo like "Eh, eh, okay Mm -hmm. all right
1: not (laughs) not exciting not it's just not it's
0: just not an exciting move now again if they go to the playoffs which I don't believe happens this year but if they were let's say they go to the playoffs this year then people will be happy with it. But if it explodes, it's bad, right? And so so we'll see. But again, the excitement there around this team, I think, is, is the development in other spots. And I think, though, to your point about Devonte Adams challenging the the down the field, he can be that guy sometimes. I know he won't 100% be happy with it to stretch the field a little bit, which is going to open up to your point. That's why I picked Michael Mayer. Because yeah. it's going to open up that field so much. And for the slot receivers, whether it's Myers, whether it's Hunter Renfro, whoever it is. And the running backs, too, coming out of the backfield. You're going to have a lot of options there as well. And if, if, if Jimmy G can stay on his feet and execute that, uh, this Raider team will, will bore you to death at some times, but they will move the ball. And that's what the game's about. It's about moving the ball down the field and eventually scoring. We'll see how the red zone stuff goes. But that's a whole different story. <laughs> It may not be pretty,
1: but you hope it's effective.
0: Exactly. And so that's sort of I again, I I equate it to like a baseball term, which is when you play, uh, you know, base to base baseball, which is you're you're moving the ball, you're hitting the ball, you're moving the runners, right? You're moving the runners. It's not a bunch of hits. It's just a bunt here or this and that. And You're like, oh, my gosh, okay, we scored two runs. But man, that was not fun to watch. So I think that's what we're going to see a little bit with the, with the Raiders. Not that there won't be excitement because they have playmakers like Josh Jacobs and so on on offense, but just prepare yourself for a different type of football than you saw under Derek Carr. Well, there you go. Our picks to click on the offense. Uh, and that's going to wrap up the show for this Tuesday. We're going to be back on Thursday with our mailbag. And we're going to take a look at Moe's guys under the gun that might be in trouble if they can't pick it up on the field. So we'll review that as well. well by the way, we haven't talked about food, except you did mention Jermaine Luminor's um, <laughs> dislike for avocados, and I just had some for breakfast actually with my, my eggs, just just to, to make the, the statement. Um, what's your favorite summer food? Like what do you think of, when you think summer's coming, it gets warm outside there in New York City, and um, it's like, man, what do you start to crave?
1: It's funny because I was just thinking about this this morning, and I <laughs> eat a lot less during summer. I yeah. be- I, yes. I I just I kind of snack on grapes and pineapples and cantaloupe during the summer. Mm-hmm. I'm not a watermelon guy. Yeah, just I I'm just gonna be honest here. A lot of people assume you know I'm a black guy, so he eats watermelon. <laughs> no, I don't like watermelon.
0: Those stereotypes. Uh, you're bringing them up I, again.
1: I don't. I I did. I tried watermelon as a kid. My not, not my grandparents fan. ate it. My my mom eats it. I I don't like watermelon at all. But I I'll, mm. I'll snack on some cantaloupe, grapes, pineapples, other fruits. But I I don't eat heavy during the summer. I drink a lot of shakes. I eat a lot of fruits. I drink a lot of water. I I kind of slim down in the summer, right? but and then I load up and I eat a lot in the fall and the winter. But all
0: those carbs, baby. I I,
1: I don't really crave much food in the summer. I I, I honestly don't unless it's fruits.
0: That so so to me so I I eat my weight in strawberries constantly I, I love so when I lived in California even though there's an off season in California too you can kind of get strawberries all the time right out west but out here you can't get them during the winter like winter unless they're frozen and it's not the same when they're frozen because you get that fresh strawberry you cut it and I take it and I mix it with some Greek yogurt oh man it's so good so for me it's strawberries and then of course. Again, when I was out West, you could do it all year round. But now, man, my smoker is – I'm using my smoker like five days a week. So I'm smoking brisket. I'm smoking ribs. I'm smoking pork shoulder. Even when we cook hamburgers now, I just don't grill them anymore. I do them on the smoker a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. It's just killer. So for me, that's what summer foods is. It's meat and fruit. (laughs) And you're right, though. I eat a lot more more salad during the summer, actually, because it's lighter. It's fun.
1: No, but it, it, no,
0: it's I, it's all good.
1: It, it's it's funny because like a lot of people take out, you know, they smoke this and grill this, and you sent the picture of your brisket this past weekend, and it looks <laughs> great. But it's just that I don't I don't know what it is, but when it gets hot and I sweat easily, I, I just I don't want hot food. Cause, mm. cause it just I, it just if I feel heavy, I feel slow, I feel sluggish. I just eat fruit and drink a lot of water. If you were talking junk food, I love gelato, not ice cream,
0: gelato. gelato.
1: I love gelato in the summertime. I could probably eat it every day, even though I shouldn't. But gelato, fruits, water. I keep it light during the summer.
0: Yes. Send all your mint chip gelato (laughs) to Momo in care of Bleacher Report. (laughs) I'm just kidding you. Gelato is great, man. Especially when you like, see, you're in the city there. You find really good gelato. Anywhere there's a good Italian population, yes. you'll find good gelato. The real yes. stuff. I,
1: yes. Which is awesome. I, I go to a mom and pop shop, all Italians there. And they, they yeah. when they first brought in their gelato, they had like a nice box of it. They let me f- sample it for free. And then I kept coming back from there. And I've, I've always went there for beef patties and pizza and all types of pasta. But when yeah. they brought in their gelato, I was like, you got me for life now. Now they're kissing
0: Mo twice. on both cheeks, calling him <laughs> Paisan. They love Mo there.
1: So, uh, He's an honorary yeah, Italian. I, I mean, it it's it's just my go to and they know me. I've been going there since for two decades now. So it's like a, a generational thing for me and, and them and that in that business. I love
0: that. That's awesome. That's great. That's what it's all about, man. I did a I did a separate podcast for this um this cigar lounge here in Cincinnati and that was our subject actually. So when it's done, I'll send it to you about the the kind of decline and the troubles with family and small-owned businesses today and how it's changed with the corporatization of a lot of things. Uh, So the fact that you've gone there for two decades actually proves one of the points I make in the show, which is, hey, um, you know what? These are important, and generationally, they're very important as well. They're important for our culture, for our country, and all that stuff. So you can check out The Burning Question, uh, which is another show that I do. But anyway, it'll be fun. All right, Mo, we are going to reconvene on Thursday to talk more Raiders
1: and talk pressure before camp so we'll get you started even though we're about a month away we're going to whet your appetite for training camp coming
0: up that's right make sure you follow mo on twitter moe look for his pieces up on bleacher report and of course sportsnot.com where he's a raiders columnist we will talk to you on tuesday brother
1: that sounds good
0: all right. For our producer, Mike, for Momoton, I am Scott Cobras, and this has been Silver and Black Today in Odyssey Original Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your audio, and make sure if you're watching us on YouTube to subscribe and hit the notifications bell there as well. For everybody here, have a great week, Raider Nation. We will talk to you on Thursday.